You're listening to the Collab Talk Podcast, episode 250 of the MVP Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with Azure MVP Daniel Newman. Hey, everybody, this is Christian Buckley doing another MVP Buzz Chat, and I'm talking today with Daniel. Hello. Hi, Chris. Uh, yeah, um, I'm Daniel. Um, I'm living in Germany near Cologne, have been for seven years right now in MVP with a short little break in it uh, where I was working three years for Microsoft. Uh, yeah, those those little those little pause that sometimes happen with people. I, I do like sometimes for folks that don't know us too that, you know, Microsoft, if there's an MVP that goes and works at Microsoft, um, there are some that, you know, Microsoft employees that still show up at MVP events because technically they won the award and they get to participate in stuff for a whole year. Um, and so depending on the timing of when you become an MVP, but then others like yourself who then leave Microsoft and the product team, like whoever the, the, the MVP gods who decide who is MVP jump in and say, Hey, just need to get this person right back into the MVP program. So, so what is your, so you said you know, who you are and, uh, and you've talked about uh, uh, where you are, what do you do for a living uh, to maybe talk more about your role and how that, relates to your MVP focus. All right. So um, when I left Microsoft, I joined a startup called Linux, uh, which is headquartered in Bonn in Germany. Um, we were recently acquired by SAP and uh, I joined there four and a half years back as uh, the platform engineering and platform operations team in the engineering department. So I'm currently a senior staff software engineer, but actually do not any coding uh, like developing microservices. So my day-to-day job is more likely uh, being a subject matter expert uh, for Azure, advising our engineering teams, which service best fits for their needs. And um, yeah, in the end responsible with the team, with the department I'm in uh, for, for running the, the entire platform on Microsoft Azure that um, yeah, provides the software as a service enterprise architecture tool we are offering to our customers. Well, I know that, uh, and we were talking about before we started recording, I mean, there's a number of executives that have left Microsoft and gone over to SAP. There's a strong relationship between the companies there, but in general, I mean, how have you found, uh, you know, the, your, your team, your organization kind of uh, uh, supports you as an MVP? Is it something that benefits you in your current role? Um, I would say it supports me a lot in my current role because, I mean, um, you you know it, um, as an MVP, you get early insights into uh, the services or features that's coming to server, uh, already existing services. Um, it's not that I can entirely speak about secrets that are shared with us, but I can point the entire organization or our department into the right direction uh, to being prepared for a new feature that is coming so that we can really yeah, I would say as it is public preview, maybe not, I mean, in production, but in the test environment, starting with the public preview feature. And then when GA, uh, we are ready to uh, to bet on it um, for the services we operate. 
Um, so that's uh, from the standpoint being an MVP to have this kind of insight and strong relationship with Microsoft is very beneficial. Um, from the other side, it's like <clears throat> um, the supporting from the company is like that I get the time um, uh, to do yeah writing blog posts. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say during my work time, um, most likely I'm doing it um, in the Friday afternoon where I put two or three hours aside just for side projects that are work-related, um, testing new things out. And I mean, um, if you're a, in the platform engineering, platform operation space, uh, every day you learn something new in Azure, which is, uh, I mean, we were running sometimes into issues, struggling, and then it's like, if you found the solution, it's like a write up to share it with the whole community or um, that they know it. And um, during back at my time, uh, before I joined Microsoft, I was working as a cloud architect, cloud consultant. And um, so my own block space is more like my personal knowledge base. So it's not mm -hmm. that I force myself to, to write it. It's more like yeah, I have a problem, I fix it, I write about the solution, publish it to my blog because it's more or less my, my own knowledge base. So um, that's that's the kind of motivation behind it. So I'm uh, basically for being MVP, uh, getting renewed, it's most likely having my own blog and um, yeah, um, try to speak as much as I can at, at well-known uh, events, um, most likely uh, I would say in Germany and in Europe um, was, I would say was more easier uh, before COVID during uh, working at Microsoft. So I continued as I worked at Microsoft with this kind of blogging and sharing the knowledge. And uh, I, I would say before COVID it was like at Microsoft. Um, uh, like, yeah, uh, you talk about these things about Azure. So so our, it was a no-brainer to have this kind of coverage for the travel costs to travel to a venue, uh, to a well-known event, sharing the knowledge with the other people. So um, mm -hmm. that was really great. Um, in my current role, it's more like um, that I really try to be at events, but um, most likely step down a bit. I mean, a lot of other MVPs have, uh, I would say, I would say uh, they have more the time to travel to those kind of events. I really enjoyed it back in the past, but I have—I mean, I have two kids, so it's more like the challenge. Um, yeah, where you spend your time, and if you have a family, it's—it's it's clearly obvious that you spend yeah. the time with the family. You know what's interesting too around this? Because I'm I, I, again early in my—I'm I'm a twelve-time MVP, and early in my, uh, you know, MVP career, uh, I was doing a lot of events. And it was just kind of built into my role. Again, I was at the company where they supported it. Uh, they paid for a lot of the travel, but it was still a lot of my time. And usually on weekends, like SharePoint Saturday events, you know, around the world. Uh, and so it was great to be able to go and do that. Not everybody has a company that's that supportive in, in doing that. But like like you, I mean, like I, I don't have small kids, but I'm just, I'm doing a lot less speaking, more content contributions in other ways. So I always like to tell, you know, people that are interested in becoming MVPs, it's like, look, you don't have to go speak at events around. That's just, that's one path. But I, I don't know, how do you answer that? Especially in the Azure space, where do you see that there are opportunities for people that want to go kind of 
make a name for themselves and get involved and maybe pursue becoming an MVP? Are there areas within the Azure space where you'd say, hey, here's here's areas which are, you know, I, I know not yet fully tapped where there's a lot of opportunity? I mean, Azure is, is really a, a massive services uh, overkill, I would say. Um, uh, sure, there are a lot of things where you can have, um, I mean, even spaces that are already covered, especially if we are looking into our, into the networking space, which is a huge important topic. I know a lot of MVPs that are in this kind of space and sharing their knowledge. Um, I would say, um, if someone is really interested into, I, I would more generally speaking about starting into the tech space, like if, if you're working already in a consultancy company or, or whatever, doing tech, um, especially in the Microsoft universe, and you would like to get, yes, like to get started, how to become an MVP. Um, it's most likely, I guess, the um, that was for me the easiest part um, I mean, I started my blog during my studies in informatics to share my experience with, with my studies, uh, sharing solutions are for, for the practical things that needs to be done. And then I just continued with like writing, um, as I already mentioned, so my blog is my personal knowledge space, and mm -hmm. I guess that's the easiest way to get started. Um, I was also uh, part of a moderator in a forum. Um, so, but I would say the easiest thing today to get started is like having a blog post and um, sharing your own knowledge, your own experience you make with these kind of different technologies, day-to-day um, -day work you have, um, sharing that with the community. And even if it's like, or I would say Azure networking, so a very generic crowded space, it, it doesn't need to be this kind of fancy new stuff we're in, but if you're totally yeah have the passion for it to be at the forefront like i would say um the the recent thing that microsoft launched a year ago azure container apps and if that's a kind of technology that you burn for uh and you would like to share your knowledge and you find that's the space i would like to be in for the next two or three years that's totally fine but if you're like more the I would say the architect, the generalist that shares knowledge about how to design the networking storage structure. I mean, in the microservices space and Kubernetes um, are, you need to store your, your data somewhere. And um, if it's be blob storage, Cosmos DB, or even like our open source database, like MySQL and Postgres, um, that can be also a space. And I mean, not everyone is a, is a database administrator with deep knowledge in databases, but um, if you have the favor for it um, and share your knowledge, your experience, your, your tricks, quirks uh, with, with the databases, that will help a lot of people. Uh, and then get uh, the recognition within the MVP community or uh, in general in the IT community and then somehow I would say you you get the nomination and if it's a fit it's a fit and then yeah. surprise surprise yeah. you are you, well, like, you have been an MVP well like what you say I mean I, I so many of us say and I say over and over again like look I'd be doing the things that I do like the content creation the writing the speaking regardless of having the MVP award and so it's something that you can't count on it. It is a bit of a black, black box for us. 
you know, so it's an award. Uh, and, and so, but you can start down this path and be creating that content. I, like I blog the same way it sounds like you blog. Like it's more of things I'm interested in. And it jumps around on different topics. And I write about music stuff occasionally three or four times yep. a month. Um, it, so it's more for me personally, but you can go in and do a little bit of research and find out like, what are the, what are the common questions that are being asked, especially around Azure? It just seems to me like there's, well, like for us that are technologists that are really involved in this living, bringing the others, like, of course, we're excited to go talk about the latest features, the latest announcements to go showcase those things. But most of what people where I see the most uh, views, the most traction that I get is when I do kind of 101 topics where I'm answering fundamental questions and walking people through. Let me introduce, this is what this is. Let me show you how to move to the next step. So even if you're just learning aspects of the technology, you can go and do that kind of fundamental content and help people learn. And again, my, my feedback is that I think you'll get a lot more traction a lot more quickly than going and writing about trying to talk about only the latest, the biggest news, which is where most of the activity is usually around the new stuff. Yeah. But um, as you said, uh, a lot of people favor this kind of one-on-one really teaching the basic stuff. And I, I mean, um, where I was working at Microsoft, I was a TSP, a technology solutions professional, so technical pre-sales during mm-hmm. architecture design sessions, proof of concept for the customers. It's, it was really surprisingly when you were at the customer site um, uh, and talked with them, and I'd, especially during the coffee breaks where you get more lot insights uh, about the customer and how they operate Azure. Um, what was really surprising for me is um, that only a few companies were really leveraging reserved instances to bring down their, their compute costs. And I mean, that's, that's I, I mean, for us, they are being in the space for, for years right now. It's such a no-brainer, but for a lot of people, it's like, oh, cl- I mean, there are different use cases. Uh, I mean, our what was this kind of uh i'm so such uh with uh oh we say where they left aws and now host their whole stuff on prem again um Mm -hmm. i mean it it totally depends on the use case um and for sure if you're just doing plain pay as you go in the cloud cloud is expensive no question so you need to optimize it having, I mean, the easiest optimization is reserved instances, for instance, and then most likely selecting the right SKU for your use case. So you don't need uh, the premium SKU if you don't leverage all the features of it. So the standard is more of maybe the better fit and you save a lot of money. So um, especially those kind of basics are really, I, I would say a good starting point for, for people and not, um, yeah, doing the latest tech stuff so we well, got to um, do a mix i mean you, 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 yeah i mean we we have to go and write about talk about the new stuff occasionally but but you're right i, I mean as you were talking i was just thinking you know that's a niche where i i think there is 
huge opportunity, especially in the Azure space. If for somebody could come in and kind of brand themselves as be like the Azure cost reduction person and, and find like, go in, like, think about that. If, if you had somebody that went in and just looked for opportunities and shared tips on, Hey, here's how you could drive this down and, and wrote longer architectural pieces of how you design a system so that you reduce the cost. Microsoft may not always like that kind of content, but I mean, I think again, the community would, would eat that up. I think that would be, I, I don't know, maybe there's somebody that's already doing that today. I don't know. I'm not as familiar in the Azure space, but. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, uh, especially, I, I would say um, Microsoft are not keen that you bring down your cost, but from right, my experience right. when I was working as a TSP for Azure, it's like, uh, if you teach the customer how can they save money for their existing resources, they have enough money to spend on new resources. So in the end, it's kind of right. um, what it's called uh, in uh, uh, in Microsoft Azure consumed revenue, what the kind of customer consumes are in the long-term distance, if you teach the customer how they can optimize their cost in Azure, they, they will grow. So it's not, so I, I would say if they are not cost optimized that, you will have a, uh, a breakdown uh, for the next months, but in the end, the curve will go up and they will consume more and more in Azure because they, they are confident how they can bring down certain kind of costs and reinvest that in future technology. I mean, we see that across the board. I mean, we had this conversation. I just had a conversation today with a partner that has a customer that is building out a chargeback model. So basically, they want to understand what licenses are they paying for that are not being used. How much storage are they using? How fast is that growing so yeah. that they can transfer dollars? And so they're look, trying to be as efficient as possible. So again, the, the sometimes, I mean, Microsoft sellers, Microsoft salespeople hate it when we tell a client, no, you can get almost everything you want to, to do with an E3 instead of paying for an E5. And so Microsoft hates that. They're trying to sell everybody on the most expensive, yeah. you know, the highest volume of that. But to your point, when you get people that are more better optimized, when they're getting the most out of the technology they already own, there's a natural growth up into those other areas and those advanced features, but not if they feel like they're being ripped off, not if they're yeah. being like they're, they're, they're spending unwisely and they don't have a, a good awareness of what is actually being used and consumed. Oh, that's, that's so true. Yeah. It's that that's an ongoing battle and the battles were uh, with, uh, with uh, Microsoft sellers around that, uh, man, you've lived on both sides of that. So you, you understand that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I, and um, uh, I guess that's one of the benefits for my current company. Uh, I know how to play the game with Microsoft. Yeah. That's I've had some uh, tough calls with some Microsoft uh, sellers that you're like, what, what are you doing trying to screw up my deal? And and trying to tell explain like, what is in the best benefit of the customer that we share? Yep. And what's the right thing to do? And let's work together to make sure they're getting what they need. And it may not be the dollars that you want to close out in Q4, sorry, but if it's the best thing long-term from the customer, happier customer long-term is the most important thing because then they stick around and then they, they expand their spend in, you know, over time. Yeah. 
So. I mean, that's that's so true. Our long-term thinking, like, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's kind of buzzword vendor login. But if you have a happy customer that knows how to use your platform, how to optimize for it, they will, yeah, will have this kind of login naturally because they trust your platform and not like, oh, I, I'm ripped off. I have no other chance to switch to any other, I would say, a cloud provider because it's this kind of little feature uh, that Azure offers. I need to use it, um, uh, and that's uh, as as we talked about the last uh, five minutes about it. It's like you need to make the customer happy, feel welcome, and then the the thing that they use more and more on the platform is is the natural growth effect. Right. Yep. Completely agree. Um, well, well, Daniel, really appreciate your time. I know it's it's late on a Friday night. Thank you for uh, <laughs> uh, for for staying up. But uh, for folks that want to connect with you, reach out to you. Where where do they find you? Where are you the most active in social? Um, I have a Twitter account, or it's now X. X. Um, yeah, I, I'm still used to Twitter. I still use. Um, I say Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's at Neumann Daniel or as the handle. Um, I'm on Blue Sky as well. Or hackerderm.io the, the mastodon instance but most likely um yeah i mean there was this kind of yeah yeah uh, elon musk took over twitter renamed it to x but in the end or uh, it's still the, the the platform to go um yep. unfortunately so, um yeah but um Time will tell. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm active on X, retweeting all this stuff. Like, um, so I'm heavily involved, or not heavily involved in Kubernetes, but I, I'm uh, I'm very active in this kind of Kubernetes cloud native space. So I, I have this kind of some kind of journey, doing Windows Server System Center stuff on premises, and Windows Azure pack moving on to Microsoft Azure, uh, and then when this kind of I would say um, the um, container orchestrator wars determined Kubernetes as a winner. That was a, I was, oh man, it's so long back. I guess it was around 1.10 I started with Kubernetes. So it's a long mm. time back from a, from a version perspective, if I remember correctly. Um, so I found my space in the Kubernetes space with containers, microservices, and and all the stuff around it. Like um, what I'm really interesting is this kind of uh, all this kind of networking, logging stuff, troubleshooting, observability. Um, yeah, and beside X, um, I run my own blog. It's DanielsTechBlog.io, um, where I would like to post more frequently. But as you have two little kids. Um, <laughs> Uh, you focus your, your time you have available yep. um, more to your kids than to your technical blog. So what I try to, to publish one to two blogs, blog posts per month, um, I would love to do more. But um, as I said, yeah, uh, family comes first. And uh, I would say the, the hobby that's already my job technology are second. Um, so yes, that's most likely uh, where you find me. And then some, um, uh, as I step down from frequent speaking more on, on the selected range, um, maybe on one on the other uh, conference. Um, so I will be joining KubeCon Cloud NativeCon in March in Paris. So everybody are, that's there um, might ping me up front and we can have 
have a coffee, uh, doing a little chat. Um, and if somebody needs advice or uh, how to become an MVP, I'm happily to provide the advice. Um, maybe to, um, uh, to close it out, uh, when I started my blog, it was entirely uh, in German. And then during some of the MVP summits are the colleagues in the cloud, data, uh, um, cloud and data center management space. Uh, they were asking, hey, why, why don't you write in English? And I, I was arguing there, um, like there are only a few German blogs, um, but then, um, yeah, then I uh, started to, to write in English to improve my English skills. So uh, languages were never my, my best classes in school. So <laughs> oh, you're doing well, I, I, but it's, yeah, uh, so well, it's 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 funny. So because because my company's German company based down most of them in uh, down the Munich area, and uh, but it's so I understand that there's a few countries in the world where it's important to have native as well as English. And obviously, most IT globally it's done in English. Yeah. Um. But there's still you know huge German market for German speaking and you know that side of it. So that's a skill. The other one, if you could, if you could also speak Japanese, like that's another one where it's important to have yeah. native, but uh, yeah, I actually know somebody who's a, speaks French, German, and Japanese. I'm always like, wow, you've got the trifecta there of these communities that don't, that, that do a lot of native uh, uh, writing speaking, but, but I'll, yeah, I'll so have, I'll have the post, I'll have your links out in the blog post out on uh, YouTube on the podcast as well. So hopefully people will find you. This will go live before that March event. So hopefully help get the people in touch with you. Yeah, perfect. So the, the, the point I would like to point out is, is um, if you if you feel not comfortable to write in English, just starting with your native language. Yeah. Yep. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's some kind of the uniqueness I would say in the MVP program. If you write in your native language, your blog or, or uh, doing your YouTube videos or your podcast, it's, I would say it's this kind of unique selling point, which might be um, the first step or the interesting step to be nominated and maybe yeah. awarded with the MVP award. And if you feel it's uh, at someday, uh, as, as myself, uh, like thinking, okay, you got the feedback by doing to write in English. And um, yeah, then seeing the turning point where you say, okay, let, let's try it um, to improve your own English skills and so on and so forth. I, I mean, yeah, that, that, I hate two points. I mean, one, you're exactly right. There are plenty of opportunities to become an MVP. If you don't speak or write in English well, that's fine. There are, there are, I've run into, sometimes I've reached out for this interview series and I had somebody in Italy just like, like my English, not good. No, you know, didn't, didn't want to, to join, uh, you know, again, I, as I said, in Japan and we've got some Chinese, uh, um, uh, uh, native speakers that are MVPs that, you know, have not been able to interview. Um, so definitely, um, there are opportunities. The other thing is thankfully the, the technology is catching up pretty quick. And I, within the next couple of years, I don't think it's going to matter. I think that the translation services will get good enough that uh, we'll be able to automate a lot of that. Yeah. You know, e even like watching, if you were to do a, a session, a webinar in German, to be able to have the live transcripting in English or even dubbed out with an English voice, like that's coming rapidly 
there's already tools that are out there that are available. Um, They're not always great, but they're getting a lot better. Yeah, technology is improving and it makes it our, it lowers the barrier for, for people that are not familiar with, with the, if it's English, French, Japanese. Um, so it's lowering the barrier and making content available to a broader audience. And uh, I mean, that's, that's a great example of technology uh, which serves the, our, our, the human mankind and, and not only our favors the company behind the technology to generate money out of it. Yep. Completely agree. Well, Daniel, really appreciate your time. Thanks for the invitation, Chris. Wow.